Chapter 42 of Anglo-American Memories by George Washburn Smalley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 42. A Scottish Legend. Among the recollections of Scotland, which come thronging on from many other days, the supernatural always plays a part. I admit they are not easy to deal with. If you believe in ghosts or in legends, a great majority of your readers do not believe in you. If you are a skeptic, the credulous pass you by with an air of pained superiority. If you neither believe nor disbelieve, you are set down as an agnostic, and there are great numbers of excellent people to whom the word agnostic implies reproach. An agnostic, however, is not one who believes or disbelieves, but who, whatever his private conviction may be, declines either to affirm or deny the truth of the matter in question. But although an unbeliever, I know of one story connecting itself with a famous legend, which is, so far as it goes, absolutely true, and this I'm going to tell exactly as it happened. In 1883 I was staying at Brecon Castle with Lord and Lady Dalhousie, and Lady Dalhousie proposed one morning that we should drive over to Cortachy Castle to lunch. Brecon Castle and Cortachy Castle are both in Forfarshire and 14 miles apart. At that time Cortachy Castle was let to the late Earl of Dudley, the seventh Earl of Arley, to whom it belonged, having lately died. There's a tragic atmosphere, for the eighth Earl was killed at Diamond Hill in South Africa in 1900. One of the many men of rank and position and fortune and everything to live for, who, in the early disastrous days of the Boer War, gave up everything to fight for the flag and for their country and sovereign. The family name is Ogilvy, and the family name and title are both old, going back to at least 1491. They were ambassadors and great officers of state, and the seventh Lord Ogilvy was made an earl. Two acts of attainder are testimony to the active part they took in those troubled times, and to their capacity for holding fast to the losing side. They were in the Earl of Mars Rebellion in 1715, and fought for the pretender at Culloden. Besides all that, the Ogilvies carried on for generations a feud with the Campbells. On both sides there were burnings and harryings and much shedding of blood there's no need to ask which of them was the more in fault the standards of those days were not as the standards of ours and there was a good deal less of that homage which vice now pays to virtue so it happened that one day early in the seventeenth century the ogilvies found themselves besieged at cortaki castle by the then earl of argyle or his lieutenant the besiegers sent in a herald with a drummer-boy to demand the surrender of the castle. The Ogilvy people took the drummer-boy and hanged him over the battlements, his mother looking from the camp outside. As the fashion was in those days, she launched a curse, or more than one, at the Ogilvies, and a prophecy. She foretold that whenever, through all the ages to come, death or disaster should visit them, they would first hear the beating of the drum by the drummer-boy. Such is the story as it was told to me. 
it is a well-known tradition and you are told also that her prophecy has been strictly fulfilled the beating of the drum by the drummer boy has been heard at least once in each generation during the centuries that ever since then have witnessed the varying fortunes of this family that is a matter as to which i neither affirm nor deny how could i i was not there but the narrative is a necessary preface to the account of the day when the events i set out to describe did actually occur at luncheon lady dudley known then and still as the beautiful lady dudley told us that when lord hardwick one of the guests staying with them came down to breakfast that morning he asked her whether the drummer boy legend applied to the tenants of the castle for the time being or only to the ogilvies oh only to the ogilvies of course then you won't mind my telling you that i heard the drummer boy beating his drum last night and lady dudley added i did not mind in the least whether i believe in the menace or not i never heard that it had anything to do with anybody but the ogilvies if it could affect anybody in this case it would be lord hardwick who heard it and not us who did not hear it with which we naturally agreed we finished our lunch peacefully and pleasantly and at three o'clock lady dalhousie and i drove back to brecon castle where there were in all twelve guests we dined as usual at a quarter past eight and shortly before ten the ladies left the dining-room just after ten the door opened again lady dalhousie sailed in her face brilliant with excitement but her manner serene as usual and said to her husband dalhousie cordishy castle is burnt to the ground the dudleys are here and you must come at once at the drawing-room door stood lady dudley pale and beautiful and warned us that her husband knew as yet nothing of what had happened and asked us to be careful to say nothing which should alarm him he was at that time very ill and his mind was affected the rest of the evening after we went into the drawing-room passed without any mention of the disaster to cordetti lord dudley sat down to his rubber of whist won it and went to bed not knowing that the house in which he had expected to sleep had been destroyed by fire when he was told next morning he said very well and turned again to his newspaper the explanation was this after lady dalhousie and i left gortati lady dudley took her husband for a drive as usual as they were returning late they were stopped by a messenger who handed lady dudley a note from the factor saying the castle was on fire and there was no hope of saving it what is it asked lord dudley oh nothing much answered his wife the kitchen chimney has been on fire and the place is in a mess i think we had better drive over to brecon and ask the dalhousies to give us dinner this ready wit carried the day and saved lord dudley the shock which his wife dreaded but the whole company of guests at cortaki were also left homeless and they also came to brecon and slept there i never quite understood how for brecon castle can put up in a normal way fourteen people and we slept that night fifty-six but lady dalhousie besides being a reigning beauty had practical talents and managed it all as if an inundation of unexpected guests were an everyday affair there is one thing to be added 
past kotaki castle flows a shallow stream with a stony bed it was early in september the water was very low and what there was rippled and broke over the stones with a noise which at night and amid uncertain slumbers might easily be mistaken for the beating of a drum by a man whose mind was full of the drummer boy story after i had heard about lord hardwick at luncheon i had walked along the banks of this burn and the faint likeness of the waters beating on the stones to the beating of a drum occurred to me perhaps a mere fancy on my part i don't press it if anybody prefers to believe in the legend i don't ask him to believe in my conjecture by all means let him nourish his own faith in his own way he may like to know moreover that lord hardwick now dead was one of the last persons in the world to conceive or cherish an illusion a well-known man of the world in his own way a celebrity if only known for his hats which were the glossiest ever seen outside of the stock exchange he had gone the pace climbed outside of every stick of property he possessed said one of his friends and had acquired a vast and varied stock of experience in the process on the face of it not at all the kind of man to believe too much nor to believe in anything as was said of mr lowe which he could not bite he came into the dining-room that night at brecon and stayed on the next day among lady dalhousie's guests was mr huxley certainly a man of the world was mr huxley but of a different world from lord hardwick's they had never met you might have said they had not a subject in common but they talked to each other and to the surprise of the company it presently became evident that they got on together i said as much to mr huxley afterward he answered in his decisive way don't make any mistake lord hardwick's has power of mind for which even his own set so far as i know has never given him credit we did not talk about the weather he was a man who would put his mind to yours no matter what you talked about and it would take you all your time to keep up with him years afterward i reminded mr huxley of this and asked him had he ever met lord hardwick again no and never and i regret it but we did not move quite in the same orbits i have hardly seen anybody since who made such an impression on me it's not a question of orbits it's a question of men i asked lord hardwick about the same time whether he remembered meeting mr huxley remember how many huxleys are there in the world that you should suppose i could forget this one it is of the distinction of english life in general and of london to which new york will perhaps some day attain that sooner or later it brings together men and women each of the first rank in his or her own department and each unlike the other they have long understood here that a society which is not various ends in monotony and of all forms of dullness that is the dullest End of chapter 42